What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. Moolah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's back with money with Gabby Dunn. Hello, I'm Gabby Dunn, and this is Bad With Money. We... We really can't talk about money anymore without factoring in racism in all facets of our economy, in all facets of wealth, um, in all facets of the distribution of wealth. And we've been talking to a lot of incredible black luminaries and activists and journalists on the show. So go check out those previous episodes. But today we are going to cover COVID-19's economic devastation on tribal lands. This was an idea that was brought to me by our producer, Tamika. And, you know, this is our our second to last episode of season six. Uh, and season six has been a whirlwind in terms of everything going on while we were making the show. And I don't think that there has been enough said about the ways in which the pandemic is basically devastating the the businesses of these tribes. 
So, I mean, I wanted to get into it and I wanted to find out what's going on with these tribes who basically had to shut everything down to protect their citizens who run these businesses that not just people that are in the tribes, but uh, people that live in the areas work at. You know, they work uh, at the casinos. They work at the hospitality businesses that the Native Americans run. Um, And so what have they been doing to protect their own nations during this time. So basically, there's so much that I think I did not even know about the ways that Native economies work. So luckily on this episode, we have Karen Diver, who was an appointee of President Obama as the special assistant to the president for Native American affairs and a former tribal chairwoman. I wanted to talk to her about the Native Americans' incredibly different way of looking at the pandemic, the ways in which they've been hit the hardest, and the ways in which our government is failing them. So um, let's get into it. For my listeners, can you tell them who you are and what you do? Sure. I'm currently the Director for Business Development for Native American Initiatives at the University of Arizona, specifically um, the Native Nations Institute. Um, I was formerly the chairwoman of the Fond du Lac Band of Lake Superior Chippewa, which is an elected position, and I was the special assistant to the president for Native American Affairs in the Obama White House. That's awesome. What uh, What did you do in your capacity in, at the Obama White House? I was in the Domestic Policy Council, um, so all of the um, policy initiatives that came out of 27 different federal agencies. Um So I worked with those agencies to make sure that we were all kind of had the same plan and were advancing the initiatives that were a priority for tribes and the president. And what do you do at your job now? So we are um, developing a school of indigenous governance and development at the University of Arizona. Um, We were pretty close to announcing it, Um, got a little sidelined by COVID, but we continue to Mm -hmm. offer um, through the Native Nations Institute both direct services to tribes um, as well as academic and professional development training for tribal leaders and executives. Starting with a blank slate, like let's assume that people listening don't know anything about how Indigenous people live today. Can you describe the economies of some of the tribes, at least how they were pre-pandemic? Um, So um, there is no easy one answer to that. There are 574 Mm -hmm. tribes. Um, A little less than half of them are in Alaska. Um, So the rest are in the lower 48. Um, There is some perception that there is unlimited um, gaming wealth from casinos, which would not be the case. Um, Only a little over 40% of tribes, uh, 245 Um, have some type of gaming or hospitality enterprises. Um, Of those, many of them are rural, um, very rural, um, and operate kind of like jobs programs. Um, But for the medium and larger tribes, um, they would operate very much like a um, tribal treasury. It's an alternative tax base since tribes don't have any other way to get revenue other than from the federal government, smaller amounts, much smaller from any state or philanthropy. Um, anything they're going to do for their own citizens, they have to figure out a way um, to earn it above and beyond um, any of that grant making. 
Um, so a little over 5 million Native Americans um, in the United States, and, and they stretch from coast to coast all the way to Alaska. And then we also include um, Native Hawaiians as well in that number. And so a lot of the, the each reservation and tribe kind of runs on its own government, yes? Very much so. Um, so um, tribes are independent political entities. Um, so people often confuse um, tribal citizens, their political status um, versus their racial status. And the relationship we have with the U.S. government is based on our political status. Um, that's how we were able to do treaty making with the United States back in the day is was based on a government to government relationship. That's so interesting to have. I don't know how many like people who are not in, uh, indigenous like understand the that there's a governments inside of our government or our country that like, you know, interact with the federal government in in its in their own individual ways. So they're considered domestic dependent nations. So like Guam, for example. So that, you know, mm. Guam, Puerto Rico, they they have their own governance, right? Um, but they're not independent sovereigns either. So domestic dependent nations is generally the term that is used. And the dependence um, part of it um, actually comes from a wide body of, you know, over 250 years of federal Indian law um, that defined the relationship between the U.S. government and tribal governments um, based on the treaties and what was promised in them. So how did I was doing a bunch of reading about how COVID affected indigenous peoples, but can you talk about like how, how, yeah, how did the pandemic affect indigenous peoples differently? Um, so I started out by talking about these 574 um, tribes. So um, there is mm -hmm. a wide variety of ways that it is impacted, but probably the most egregious um, we saw with the Navajo Nation and now expanding to the other tribes um, around Navajo with the Pueblos and the Utes, um, where there's just been really explosive growth in COVID. Um, you know, N Navajo Nation is... Uh, uh, operates on a fairly large homeland, very, very large, larger than most East Coast states. Um, but there's very rural communities. There's food deserts. Um, some of the communities on Navajo um, lack access to regular running water um, and or electricity, um, you know, multi-generational households. Um, so there was one large split spreader event um, that happened in the beginning um, and that it was actually a church service. And then when people went back to their home communities, it kind of turned into a super spreader situation just because of those multi-generational households and the isolated communities um, and just the vast expanse of trying to get a handle on how do we close borders um, when the only um, food would be in a border town. Um, so they had to stand up a whole lot of infrastructure um, in order to meet those needs with, you know, volunteers coming in, doing home-delivered food to assure food security. Um, and then the federal government hasn't really dealt well um, with them. Um, they sent them faulty um, PPE um, in the beginning. Um, and then the CARES Act money, which was federal resources that were supposed to come to tribes, um, was delayed because of some um, dispute with the federal government on including um, Alaska Native corporations in the funding formula. 
Why? Um, because they're not tribes. Um, they're corporations. And, um, you know, there are Alaskan villages um, that have representative governments and, um, you know, tribes operate on behalf of shareholders, not necessarily citizens. Um, but it ends up being complicated because many of those corporations also do some level of service delivery just because they're regional and have more capacity. Um, so there was some dispute um, and it ended up in court um, on whether or not that they were eligible. And so um, rather than just distribute what wasn't being disputed, um, the federal government chose not to distribute any of it until that was resolved. Um, so you also have some hard hit tribes, uh, Oneida tribe in Wisconsin. There was some in the um, Northwest that got hit hard. Many tribes just shut down. Um, they they just shut down all of their enterprises, all of their government services. Um, there was a few that instituted border checkpoints um, just to make sure that nobody was um, coming into the community to spread it. We just have high rates of our elderly are often um, very much prized in our community and regarded um, as knowledge keepers, language keepers, culture keepers. And so um, a large part of our cultural traditions was driving our public health response in terms of um, wanting to protect our elder population. So, you know, it was a little different of a dynamic than you saw, you know, in America otherwise, where it was kind of people were looking at individual liberties. We were looking at community care principles um, and caring for one another, especially the most vulnerable. So tribes shut down from coast to coast. They shut down um, to protect their citizens. Yeah, I was reading like in South, uh, this is from an article, the in South Dakota tribes set up roadblocks to protect their citizens. Uh, this is from The Guardian. After the pro-Trump governor refused to issue a stay-at-home order in Washington, the Lummi Nation created the country's first field hospital. Um, and then, you know, the Navajo Nation has been really doing a lot of testing um, and has, even though like they have a, a infection rate that I guess is five times that of the, the U S as a whole, they've like basically done a better job of shutting down than anywhere else. Um, and I wonder like, is it, why do you think that is like, they just took it way more seriously? Yeah. You know, as I was speaking, that community care principle and that sector, sense of connectedness to one another um, and the special regard we have for our elders, which, you know, that was the first information coming out about COVID was that it was going to have a disproportionate death rate on um, elder populations. And, and those are um, universally amongst all the tribes. Um, you know, our elders are just so highly regarded and, and it's precious time. Um, there was a time when the average age of death in the 70s for an American Indian was 56 years old. So now to be able to have our elders, our, our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents into their 70s, 80s, 90s or older um, is a precious gift. It's a precious gift of knowledge um, and, and those relations are precious. So um, even a young person who maybe you know, along with their peers might feel a little bit more um, insulated from the effects of COVID, um, understands the responsibility of being a carrier and um, 
takes greatly the responsibility of protecting the older people and their family. So it was an easy decision for tribes to shut down um, because the alternative is about money. Um, and we've been poor before and survived. Um, but the preciousness of that elder population is much more of a priority. Um, the, the rest is inconvenient. Um, but the, the other parts of it are life changing when we lose our elders. What do you mean it's about money, like shutting down the, the native economy or the casinos? Right, right, right. Shutting well, hospitality enterprises, golf courses, um, you know, the casinos or whatever they may have. Um, you know, tribes lost their, their treasury, their ability to fund, you know, government services um, and had to really kind of prioritize, um, you know, service delivery um, and then forego some of the other government services in response to losing that ability to self-fund. What other services? Um, transit uh, facilities, um, you know, they lost some places, closed down their gas and grocery stores um, mm -hmm. if, for a while until they could figure out how to open them back up safely with restrictions, um, trying to figure out how to get food to kids um, when the schools were closed early, knowing that mm -hmm. that could create food insecurity, how to maintain elder nutrition services. Um, they had to keep their police departments running, um, you know, but... On the other hand, maybe a public works department was closed and projects put on hold. Um, maybe some of the routine maintenance that might be done on public housing stock might be deferred um, because you don't want people going into homes and, and being a carrier um, or catching something and bringing it to their own family. So, you know, mm -hmm. tribes were um, clinical services, um, you know, Many tribes operate health facilities, um, dental facilities. You know, how do you do that and, and maintain a handle on chronic conditions, um, but look at, um, you know, ambulatory care very much differently um, and doing telehealth, trying to figure out how to do telehealth and having public health nurses call families um, to, to get symptoms and, and prioritize health needs. So, you know, it was a lot um, for tribes mm -hmm. to be able to handle, and they were adapting on the ground. Um, and I think that most tribes have some experience with emergency planning, um, but I think even the most experienced emergency planners were, it was hard to foresee something like this, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Let's pause here and take a quick break. We'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. 
One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because when I'm looking to work with someone, I really need to be able to get someone fast. My job works very fast. Podcasts work very fast. And I've actually been looking for an assistant and I don't need to waste time sorting through matches without getting the highest quality person, right? When I'm looking to hire someone, whether that's a grant writer or a musician or something like that, it's very overwhelming because you get a lot of messages, but you're not able to like parse through yourself, which ones are actually worth looking at. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash badwithmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash badwithmoney right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash badwithmoney terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Teams buried in manual work, taking forever to close the books. Getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, you should know these numbers. 37,025-1. 37,000. That's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. If you have all the information about your business in one place, you can make way better decisions. And this is an unprecedented offer, meaning this is totally worth your time. As someone who runs a business, having all of this together in order to close my books, that would be invaluable. It's a time saver. It's literally the biggest time saver. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. That's netsuite.com slash badwithmoney to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. Have you been using Mint to manage your finances? First, the bad news. Mint is shutting down. Now, good news. There's a better alternative. Monarch Money. Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it. That's right. I use Mint and now I'm using Monarch Money. It is very stressful, confusing, and time-consuming to manage my finances. I've tried other finance apps. They don't really work. Like, you know, I was very committed to Mint and then I was uh, deeply sad when Mint went away. But now I have tried Monarch. It's so easy to use with powerful features, collaboration tools, intuitive design, personalization, constant product improvements. I mean, I really value a company that is proactively looking at how to make finances easier. Did you know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce? Monarch, the top-rated personal finance app, also has built-in collaboration features so that you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Can you imagine being able to have a budget app with your partner? That is wild. You can see all your finances. You can collaborate on your budget. You can get insights on your cash flow and reoccurring transactions. It's a very easy way to manage a household's finances. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. 
And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has a tool that allows you to easily import your data from Mint and keep all your tags and categories. Monarch is the most customizable budget app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. We will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y slash badmoney for your extended 30-day free trial. And we're back. So can we talk about... Because COVID, you know, the whole thing was like, wash your hands and and uh, use hand sanitizer and all that kind of stuff. Um, and can we talk about the the sort of indoor plumbing aspect of it? Because I think um, it's like race is a, a big predictor of, of access to indoor plumbing. And you mentioned that a little bit briefly. Um, but what is the, the situation or what is the disparity there? So I would say that disparity um, around access to indoor plumbing is most affected in Navajo just because of its size and mm-hmm. how remote some of the communities are. Um, other communities more deal with access to quality water, um, sure. you know, potability, um, where at Navajo, um, you know, it's actually the issue of it being plumbed into the home um, and things like, and, and then electricity. So um, Navajo, I think, was most impact, is most impacted by all of that. Um, you will also see some of those issues in some of the remote um, Alaskan villages. And uh, what is the, what do you mean by potable? Like, why don't they have access to potable water? Well, for Navajo, for example, um, you know, some of their water has been contaminated by um, previous uranium mining um, and other Mm -hmm. mining activities. Um, You know, one of their aquifers was drained by um, with coal mining um, prior to it shutting down. Um, You know, so sometimes it's external factors um, around Mm -hmm. the quality um, of water. And then some of it is the very rural nature of most um, tribal communities and reservation homelands. Yeah, because we hear about that, about, you know, digging and and all these things that where it's like people don't seem to uh, care at all (laughs) about indigenous peoples like, uh, like the, I just saw the thing with like Mark Zuckerberg trying to sue native people in Hawaii in order to build there or something like, is that it? Is it just like racism and, and people just don't care? Is that, is that the, as simple as that? Um, yes, it is as simple as that. Um, and cool. there's been some great, um, work done, um, on, by the, a group called Illuminatives, which seeks to, work against um, general indigenous erasure in this country. Mm -hmm. Um, We tend to like to think about Native peoples in the past and not as contemporary communities um, that are distinct. Mm -hmm. And so getting that narrative out there of, um, you know, 
while we are all part of a long and ancient people, we are also a part of contemporary society that is unique um, and faces, in many cases, very disproportionate impacts from all kinds of things. And this pandemic has really highlighted it. Um, but everything from, you know, criminal justice reform issues, health outcomes, educational outcomes, you know, we're still dealing with all of that. Um, a part of it is... Um, you know, tribes have only really been able um, and allowed by the federal government to self-govern since the 70s. Um, mm-hmm. After the first civil rights movement, um, we were um, a byproduct of some of that, of looking at racial justice issues. Um, but nearly, you know, because people don't learn an accurate history, they don't understand that it just isn't the racial inequities are there, but they don't understand a part of the solution is empowering the political status of tribes and the ability to self-govern um, and come up with the solutions themselves. Because we know from 400 years of policy making at the federal level that they're really bad at it. Um and have contributed to this. So the answers are really in our own community and building up the strength. When tribes have the means to self-govern, and this is what's been highlighted through tribes being able to raise some of their own money through having their own enterprises, in particular gaming, is that Mm -hmm. where they put the money is really smart and preventative. It's in scholarships. It's in school. It's in promoting health, not just managing diseases. It is about nutrition. It is about the resiliency that comes from connection to culture and identity in a positive way and not through, you know, bastardized representations in the media or racial slurs on sports teams, um, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I, I, well, so I was reading too, I mean, you know, it seems like there, there is a terrible history of indigenous people always being the most affected by pandemics or diseases. Um, and so there was, you know, this thing of like preventative, I don't know if this is true, like prevent, like that Native Americans sort of have preventative measures or are sort of used to, I mean, you mentioned being like, yeah, we've been poor before, like we'll shut down. Like, is there, is that sort of a thing where it's like not a new experience? So, so like Native Americans are like, yeah, like we, this is, we know how to handle this. Well, I think that there have been lessons learned. And I think that a part of the way that we look at ourselves now is that for those of us here today, we look at very much the sacrifices of our parents and our Mm -hmm. grandparents and our great grandparents. And we know how different it is for us today. And in order to honor their sacrifices, um, to give us more opportunity, then it also comes with the upper, the, the realization that today is different. Um, and so it's kind of hard to complain, right? Because we do have it better, and we are still here. Genocide didn't work. Assimilation didn't work. Um, mm-hmm. And and while we enjoy and are slowly building a private sector economy and robust robust government services and building our governance capability, there's also this notion that little has come to Native Americans without sacrifice, and we also know that inherently systems are fairly institutionally racist and there are consistently yearly 
challenges to us being able to be self-governing, to being able to be self-sufficient, there's this deficit mentality that if tribes do well, you know, um, other people don't always like that, right? We liked we liked our Indians porn on the reservation and dependent. Um, you know, what Why? is it? Well, racism, right? Um, yeah. And, and that's, you know, it's majority culture institutions, right? Um, and, and it's a way to keep us compliant and, um, you know, is to say, well, we'll take away your economic security. You see this in states where they're negotiating with tribes around gaming revenue. Give us more or else we will compete with you or we won't honor the gaming compacts. Give us more. Give us more. It's like, wait, we gave you the state. That was the deal, right? We gave yeah. up our land so you could create states, and the deal was that you would provide health care, you would provide housing, you would provide education. We paid for those things in land so that there could be a United States, and that was a perpetual obligation that has never been fulfilled. Now you don't like us doing it for ourselves either, so make up your mind. <laughs> And I feel like the treaties come up for debate so often, like in the Supreme Court or like it just keeps it's like a continuous renegotiation almost. That's so futile. Which was interesting in the case last week, um, McGirt, um, which Mm -hmm. wasn't even about land. It was about jurisdiction. Um, Do tribes have a right um, to expect a certain level of public safety on the lands that they reserved in their reservation? So the good news for tribes out of some of the recent Supreme Court decisions is that um, Justice Gorsuch actually has some background in Indian law, being a justice that has come from the West and has had more experience um, as a federal judge with Indian law. But normally, Supreme Court justices don't end up there with the knowledge of Indian law. So then it's even the Supreme Court ends up being fairly inconsistent. So um, Gorsuch has been consistent in sharing his knowledge with the court um, and understanding kind of the rules of treaty making um, and what they meant. And so um, tribes took heart last week that maybe that will bring a period of stability for Indian law out of the Supreme Court. Was the decision, the decision wasn't positive, right? It was. It was positive. For for tribes, it was positive. It says that um, for the Muscogee Creek Nation, that um, their original homelands that were promised to them, that they retain criminal jurisdiction over their original homelands. It doesn't give them the land back that's been lost, um, but it says that their jurisdiction remains for Mm -hmm. tribal members only, though. Are there persistent health disparities for for Native Americans, for instance, like, you know, for COVID, pre-existing conditions are are an issue. Um, And I think diabetes. Yeah. yeah. So can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, We have um, over a 50 percent rate of in some communities of diabetes. they think that the overprevalence of diabetes in Native American communities um, was triggered somewhat by the abrupt change in diet when the reservation cool. system was instituted in the you know mid to late 1800s. 
um, we weren't hunter-gatherers and cultivators anymore. All of a sudden, you know, through the years, they were bringing in commodity foods, um, surplus foods through USDA, where you had white flour, you know, meat canned mm-hmm. in lard, butter, cheese, um, and we just weren't dairy people, right? Um, you know, but then the high carbohydrate content, because that's the food of the poor, right? Um, it fills you mm-hmm. up. Um, so um, type type 1 and type 2 diabetes run um, quite high. Um, heart disease also runs um, higher in tribal communities, as do some cancers. Um, so, yeah, underlying health conditions, um, yeah, hypertension as well. Um, underlying health conditions, um, you know, especially in our elderly popula- population are, are quite concerning, which is one of the reasons why tribes running their own health services end up being really right. important. Um, so, like, now the U.S. is is sort of rushing to reopen states' economies. Um, like, does that affect anything for, for people living on tribal lands? No, those are solely tribal decisions for tribal enterprises. So, like, when casinos and all that stuff shut down, did that affect the, like, U.S. economy in any way? Like, is, was that counted as, you know a loss for anyone other than the tribes? Um, In many areas, you'll see tribes be the largest employer in their area. Um, So Mm -hmm. I'll take my own tribe, for example, the Fond du Lac, Bantle, Superior, Chippewa. We're the second largest employer in all of northern Minnesota. Um, So it's over a $300 million economic impact annually um, to the region. They draw from like 18 different counties for workers, um, a workforce of 2,200, um, you know, and this is rural northern Minnesota. So, um, you know, I think that um, as much as tribal drivers of economy um, haven't been considered off-reservation, um, despite tribes kind of trumpeting it over and over, um, that this will be a, a chance to begin that conversation with jurisdictions around them, um, around, um, you know, tribal economic development. And the more that we can diversify our own economies to not be so hospitality re- related will actually mm-hmm. be really good for um, rural economies in many cases. So, the thing to remember about hospitality industries is it funds other jobs on the reservation. So if we don't have the money coming in from the casino, that's what we use to subsidize our transit. So then the transit mm-hmm. needs to shut down, you know, and that multiplier effect within government. Um, so one of the statistics I saw was, um, you know, 1.1 million jobs across the country, um, were impacted by COVID um, in Indian country. Is that mostly Na- Native Americans working at the casinos or like just anyone in the rural area? Like the, it's it's all types of people in that area. It, in fact, it's mostly non-natives. Out of that 1.1 million, um, it's estimated that over 900,000 of those jobs are by non-natives. Although, although we should say that non-natives might be family members of tribal right. families. Were they able to get the people that can't work? Were they able to get the stimulus checks? So they are. They still. Re, oh yes. Um. They still remain citizens 
of the states mm-hmm. and the counties and the U.S. So, you know, they are eligible for unemployment um, and, you know, the the payments that were coming for those impacted by COVID. Are the tribes are the tribes able? I know you said it was delayed, but. So that was money that came to the government, um, not to our enterprises. Um, we weren't able to access um, the the PPE for businesses. Um, we were left out of that. Um, but Why? we were able. I don't know. There's not a good <laughs> answer to that. Um, even though we're employers, um, we should have been eligible, but we were left out of eligibility in the legislation. So the CARES Act money came for government and the Treasury Department put a lot of rules on it that it can't just subsidize um, the government services that you had to close down. It had to be a new cost that was incurred directly because of COVID. What? Yes. Um, and and the individual people can't apply for... Can they apply for unemployment? Can they apply for... Yes, they can. Uh, it, yes, they can. Okay. Yeah. And can they apply... They can't apply individually for, for stimulus checks that it had to go to the, no, they to the tribal government? Yes, they, oh, okay. could get, they could get those. But the, the CARES Act money was only for tribal governments. Right. Yeah. And, and so a lot of them just didn't, straight up didn't qualify? Um, no, they qualified. But so they, they had the money sent to them. But when they report back, um, they can only use the money for new COVID-related expenses. Otherwise, um, it would they'll be found non-compliant, and Treasury can ask for the money back. But what? That's so vague. Yep. <laughs> and and might not actually and might not actually be helpful to what they actually need money for. Exactly. Um, and it, so it's that paternalistic Big Brother federal government stuff that really kind of turns the clock back on understanding that tribes know what's best for them. Um, mm-hmm. And it's okay to have some rules, but at least have that conversation with us. And this is where the government-to-government relationship comes in, right? You're supposed mm-hmm. to talk to us. We're supposed to tell you what we need. And you're supposed to listen to that and actually give it due consideration. And when you do that, you come out with the best outcomes. So what, what a novel thought, right? I know. <laughs> All right, it's time for one last break, and we'll be right back. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like... Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. We all know about that in my life and how hard that's been for me and also my listeners. You guys hear them talking about it on the mailbags. It is hard to manage finances with a partner. Putting away money for retirement, since I'm not going to be doing this podcast forever. Sorry. I guess I could, but retirement is huge for me. I am deeply focused on it right now. And planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year. Taxes are a doozy, and it's always changing. How do you know what to do? Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? 
These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And we're back. Is this administration different than than under Obama? Oh, night and day. Um, really? They don't, they don't consult with tribes. They don't listen when tribes tell them what they need. Um, in some cases, they've undone um, decisions that were requested by tribes. The Bears Ears National Monument, um, which is a sacred place and had five tribes working together um, to preserve it. Um, they undid that and opened the areas up for oil and gas drilling, which will actually um, wreck native patrimony that goes back eons. Um, and as a part of our American history, um, Dakota Access Pipeline, um, you know, that was put on hold for an environmental impact statement and then reinstated, I think, on day three or five of the Trump administration um, as an executive act and, and just got struck down last week by a judge and said they had to actually do the environmental impact statement. So, um, you know, there's been a retraction of... Um, you know, we've had funding issues, um, but mostly it's about the relationship and the different federal agencies not listening to tribes. Um, they've been trying to decentralize um, the Bureau of Indian Affairs and and Indian serving programs out of the Department of Interior and, you know, move the federal staff all over the country, you know, hoping to destabilize the workforce. And it's just one thing after another. And it's about profits. It's about money. It's it's wh- why. <laughs> um, they don't care and feel a duty to tribes um, regarding that government to government relationship and and what we call the trust responsibility. So, the way that tribes um, look at what's required of the federal government in terms of treaty resources, um, what was promised. We call that the trust relationship. It was actually defined by a previous Supreme Court, um, the Marshall Court, um, of saying that the U.S. has a duty of care to tribes, um, mm-hmm. much like a dependent child. Um, and so um, this administration doesn't feel that same duty of care. Is there any hesitation to reopen casinos after witnessing COVID spikes when the U.S. reopened its its bars and economies and stuff like that? Um, I would say that, yes, all of the tribes um, are taking 
continue to take COVID quite seriously. Um, I have um, talked to tribal leadership um, and many of the tribes, and um, some of them are reopening, but they're reopening in a very restricted manner, um, meaning that um, it's only open for certain kinds of guests, like maybe they're better players. They're shutting down some of their floor so that they can social distance better, um, you know, cleaning and um, other um, protocols regarding health, requiring masks to enter mm-hmm. and to keep them up and training their staff to tell people, put the mask up or you're going to have to leave and enforcing mm-hmm. it, um, you know, um, so they've been talking to each other through, um, you know, the various means that tribes have um, to develop best practices um, around what that would look like. And some aren't open yet. Um, They're waiting um, to see how things go um, and and make sure those measures work. Um, So, yeah, you'll get a little bit of everything, but but most of them are not open, and certainly none of them are open in the same way that they were before COVID. Right. Yeah, I just just am like, of course— the government's going to let the tribes. I mean, just when I was reading that this, the rates are five times, I guess, what they are in the in the rest of the U.S. I was like, of course, they're just going to ignore. They're like not going to. I mean, they're not like really offering help other than what's being asked. Right. Um, You know, it's coming slow um, after the especially on Navajo, where um, it got to be a, a mainstream media story about the lack of attention. Um, They had asked for like a FEMA field hospital and were actually turned down for a while. And then after it became a bigger story, um, you know, that kind of public pressure came to bear and and then they brought in a field hospital, Um, you know, and then other people kicked in, philanthropy kicked in and, and there was some grassroots organizing around food security issues. And, and that took off when people heard about how, um, you know, atrocious the outcomes were down there. And so, you know, it's been a mixture. Um, you know, the federal government is finally doing some of these things. Um, is it at a level that is necessary? Probably not. Um, but I think that um, many of the tribes have found kind of reorientating what is normal for them um, and also just kind of exerting their authority, like instituting checkpoints. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that, you know, and some tribes are real small and just don't have a lot of capacity. Um, But then because of that, you know, they had less to manage to shut down too, right? Right. Um, So, and then you had some fairly large players where it was much more disruptive. A couple more questions. I'm just curious when, you know, so much of, uh, of tribal life is gathering in person for like traditions and rituals. And like you said, the, the early on super spreader that happened, um, in the Navajo nation, what are, what are tribes doing to, to replace that or to do, um, to keep that up, I guess, if you can't meet in person? Um, so they're not, they're not replacing it in person. Um, wow. The the large gatherings that normally happen in tribal communities in the summer um, are are public events like our powwows, um, ceremonies, um, 
they've just been ceased. And some of the governmental functions that aren't as tied to government, um, you know, have gone online, like government meetings, uh, although there is also a lack of broadband um, in many tribal communities that also inhibit moving to an online format for government and as well as the education of our children. Um, there's also kind of disproportionate access to to high-speed internet, which complicates things in this day and age. Um, but tribes have opted to prioritize tribal health over everything. Uh, so what can people do to help? Or what are some, someone listening to this, like what, what are some ways that, like if you're not an indigenous person or you don't, you don't live on tribal land or anything, like what, what can you, where can you read more? What can you do? Um, so the, the Harvard Project on American Indian Economic Development has a, a COVID toolbox. You'll t- find a ton of stories there, a ton of data. From them stories, you'll hear about some of the tribes that are doing innovative work, but also some of the ones that are challenged, um, just to increase your general knowledge so that you're making these decisions in an informed way. Um, you have some larger Native nonprofits, like the National Congress of American Indians, which is kind of like our... Um, association, so to speak, um, that has a fund, the Indian Collective, and Indian is NDN Collective, Mm -hmm. um, has been taking donations um, to redistribute to tribes and tribal members. Um, If you're interested in particular Navajo and Hopi, um, because of their size and their impact, um, you can just kind of Google Navajo Hopi Relief and you'll find both direct-to-government opportunities to give as well as grassroots um, initiatives. That's awesome. Thank thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. This is like exactly the type of thing that we try to boost here on the show. Well, I really thank you for your interest. As we discussed earlier, um, you know, sometimes working in Indian country and and trying to get attention to the issues that affect us, um, it's difficult because we we are a little invisible sometimes. And so anytime we get interest from outside of our communities, um, we're grateful. So thank you. Whenever we end a episode that has a lot to do with racism, there is this increasing frustration in my gut that comes from wanting to find a different reason for why things are this way and then being faced again and again with the simple answer of erasure and racism and that people just do not care. And, you know, Karen Diver says, Thank you for for having me on because, like, we always want to talk to people outside the nation. What does that say about us as a country? Like, I don't feel like that should be some huge thing that I'm doing. Like, I feel like not only should the federal government and federal agencies be listening to the tribes, but we should be listening to the tribes. I want to say something. There's real hope for racial justice that's happening right now. There's real movement for change. And I think we should include indigenous people. I know I'm not the first or 400th person to say that, but if we're dealing in racial injustice, we gotta, we gotta talk to and about indigenous peoples as well. 
Thanks for listening. Make sure you're subscribed to our show on Stitcher or wherever you find your podcasts. The show is produced by Tamika Weatherspoon. Our audio engineer is Brendan Burns, and our audio is mixed by Andy Christens. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Josephine Martirana. Original music is composed by Zach Sherwin, Mike Kaplan, and Jack Dolgen. Our theme song is performed by Sam Barbera. Bad With Money is a production of Stitcher. I'm Gabby Dunn, and see you next week for the season six finale. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.